Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. About a third of our church is under the age of 13. Isn't that crazy? Uh, so when, you, when the kids are dismissed, uh, pray for them. Pray for the, the leaders that are going to be uh, working with them, especially if they're your kids, right? You know how specifically how to pray. Um, yeah, really, we really love the, the energy that our youth bring. Well, if, you're, uh, if you're, this is your first time with us, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark together. Um, there's four accounts of Jesus' life written in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been just just journeying through it together as if we were with Jesus. Um, this morning, one of the questions that's going to be asked in our text is, who is Jesus. Now, we've been asking this question the whole time as we've been walking through the scriptures because we're trying to find out who Jesus is based on what he did, based on what he said, not our caricatures of him, um, not what the culture says, not even what your favorite pastor says, uh, but what Jesus says, what is written in his word. Uh, so this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to ask for you to, to interact a little bit, to, to do something tangible. Um, I imagine everybody has a, a phone. And so I'm going to have you go here because the question I'm going to have you answer this morning with your phone is, who is Jesus? And we're going to see kind of a, a display of that from our church. And if you're online, you can do this as well. So you're going to go to menti.com. And when you hit that, you're going to see a place to enter this access code. So if you have your phones, go ahead and do that real quick. And then once you hit that access code, you can, you can share three words that describe who Jesus is to you. These can be from scripture. These can be personal to you, um, whatever it would be. And now I was a youth pastor for a number of years. There's always that one kid, right, when you're trying to do something serious that throws in something goofy. Don't be that kid this morning, all right? So, so who is Jesus? So I'll give you a minute to do that. Menti.com, and then you'll hit that access code. Then you should th- see three things, and we'll get a live result here. Can you go back to, that, to the code just so people can see it? Oh, here, they, they're coming in already. Or you can see the code at the top of this screen as well. So, All right, yeah, go back to the... Okay, so, yeah, I don't know if it, we can leave that code up a little bit longer. 8050-7587. 8050 7587 is the code. There we go. 8050-75. I'll just leave it up for a second, and then we'll, we'll see the results as they come in. Who is Jesus? Some of you have quick thumbs, some of you don't, so we'll, we'll let you enter that in. Who is Jesus? Again, it could be from Scripture. It could be just in your own personal relationship. Who is Jesus? All right, I think everybody's logged in, so let's look at the results as they come in here, Chad. I love some of these that are coming. My best friend, Prince of Peace, Almighty, Rescuer, God in a bod. <laughs> Redeemer, shepherd, Lord of all. 
my father, protector, Messiah, mentor, my father, shepherd, forgiving, perfect, holy. And if you're wondering, the ones that are biggest are the ones that you all are selecting together. So those are the ones that are in common. So the bigger they are, the more of you have entered that word. They're still coming in. That's why they're moving around. Role model, hope, lamb, merciful, forgiver, redeemer, perfecter, protector, intercessor, wonder, sacrifice. All right, I think everybody's good. Thank you for contributing to that. Those are, and thanks for not being that guy, right? You know, we did the weird one. So <laughs> so the reason I wanted to lead with this question is because it matters. Who Jesus is matters. For the last 2,000 years, people have been debating this question. Is, was Jesus just a man? Was he a, a prophet was he a priest? Was he just a good, holy person like so many other good, holy people that the world has seen today? There have been conferences and seminars trying to discover the historical Jesus. There have been debates in churches and out of churches. To this very day, people know that Jesus is real. They know he was a historical character. To this day, if you list the top 100 most influential people in history, Jesus is always at the top of the list, if not the top of the list, even from people who don't believe that he is the Son of God. So who is Jesus matters. Who Jesus is has affected cultures and nations, and it's why we're here today, this morning. And it's also a question that Jesus himself asks in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at this question from Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 33. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 33. If you don't have your Bibles, there's some Bibles that look just like this in the pews in front of you. I even put a shortcut so you don't need to know the books of the Bible to find it. Just turn to page 866. Who is Jesus? Up until this point in our story, as we've been walking through the gospel, the disciples, the, the ones that are with Jesus in the day-to-day, -day, um, they've been referenced as a group. So it's always the disciples. And we know there's 12 of them, but we, don't, we haven't heard their names individually in all the things that they've been doing. So they've been with Jesus. They've been sent out from Jesus to minister in his name. They've been with him in his teachings. They're also at times confused about why Jesus is doing what he's doing. Their reference is being dull at times. I can relate to that as a follower of Jesus. Their reference to being hard-hearted at times. Again, I can relate to that as his follower. So this is how they've been mentioned up until this point. But in our text today, we're going to see an interaction between one specific disciple, a guy named Peter, and 
Jesus. And despite um, Peter being referenced as dull and hard-hearted and not understanding who Jesus is, Peter does get something right, finally. But he also gets something oh so wrong. (laughs) So let's read this first part of our passage today, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Jesus is asking essentially, what's the word on the street? Like we've been ministering, people have been getting healed and demons have been cast out. And I mean, just the other day, people hung out with us for three days while I taught. What are people saying about me? You ever wonder that? What people think of you? Jesus was wondering, what's the word on the street? And, And Peter said, well, hey, some people think you're like Elijah. Well, if you don't know who Elijah was, he died a long time ago. But in the history of the Jewish people, he was a significant prophet. In fact, the Old Testament records that Elijah doesn't die, that he gets taken up into heaven. So is Jesus Elijah returning? Some people might think that. Some people think he's John the Baptist. Well, John's Jesus' cousin, so that doesn't make sense. But John had died not too long ago either. And in a way that echoes some of Herod's concerns, the one who had John killed, that maybe he wasn't really dead. Was he John the Baptist? And others just said, man, he is like one of the prophets of old. But we haven't had one of them in a long, long time. It had been hundreds of years since Israel had had a prophet that could do what Jesus is doing. Maybe he was one of them. So Peter gives a, a broad picture of what the word on the street was about Jesus. But Jesus then makes it more personal. Peter, what about you? Who do you think I am? Part of the reason I wanted to lead with our question this morning. Who do you see Jesus as? So Peter gets one thing right. He answers, you are the Messiah. But he gets something else so wrong. We'll see this in a moment. His idea of a Messiah is oh so wrong. So who is Jesus? Finally, Peter is seeing Jesus for who he is. Uh, For those of you, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, you don't know uh, Hebrew history, uh, Messiah. Who is a Messiah? What is a Messiah? This word is heavily rooted in Jewish religion and culture. Messiah means anointed one, or it means Christ. That can be the noun. So if you've ever heard the word, the phrase Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. (laughs) It's referencing his identity. Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah. Those words are used interchangeably. And in the Jewish culture, there was an anticipation of a Messiah, of an anointed one that would come. Uh, He would be a descendant of King David, who is the most famous king in Israel history. And honestly, even for us today, right? Because David killed who? He killed Goliath, right? Still famous in culture. 
So in Jewish culture, the Messiah would be a, a descendant of King David, and he would be a leader who would bring peace and freedom from all oppression. And this was significant because at this moment in history, the Jewish people were occupied by Rome. They didn't have freedom. They didn't have liberty. They weren't free to govern themselves and rule themselves. And it had been this for quite some time. In fact, that's the story of the Jewish people, of being uh, occupied and taken over and, and, and persecuted by Babylon, by Rome. Over and over again, they had, they had experienced this. And so when Peter says, you are the Messiah, there is a heavy anticipation in the air. If Jesus is the Messiah, then something significant is happening right now in this moment in history. And Peter's idea would be of a Messiah that was like a king who's going to take his rightful place. His, his idea of a Messiah would be like a warrior, liberator, like David, who would overthrow injustice in the land. So Peter is right. Jesus is the Messiah. But one question leads to another, right? If he is the Messiah, why would Jesus say, shh, don't tell anybody about this? There's two possibilities. Um, one is, if you've been with us through this gospel, over and over again, Jesus keeps saying this to people. He heals them. He's like, keep it quiet. You've been freed from the demon. Don't tell anybody about this. And so one of the reasons is, is Jesus doesn't want the spectacle of his power to overshadow the message that he's preaching. Because for him, the message of God's coming kingdom is more important than what just happened to you. Even though it's good. I'm glad you're healed. I love you. That's why I did it. But I want people to listen to what I have to say, not just be so focused on what I can do for them. So that could be one possibility. This has just been a constant theme in Jesus' ministry. There's another possibility, though. He doesn't want Peter to tell people that he's the Messiah because Peter's idea of a Messiah is wrong. And so if Peter goes around and starts saying, hey, the king is here. He's like, David, hold on to your, to your horses because things are about to get real. I can't wait to see what he does next. There's going to be a battle and we're going to win. And, and, and so of those two possibilities, uh, I think the second one, Peter's wrong idea of Jesus is the most likely. Jesus knew Peter's understanding of his identity was a little bit off. And this is backed up by the next section of scripture. Verse 31 says, He, Jesus, then began to teach them, his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter then took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, like the story of the blind man that happens right before this, Peter and his other disciples are finally starting to see Jesus, but they aren't seeing him fully, not clearly, for who he is. Mark says that Jesus, when he shared what was going to happen with him, he spoke plainly. In other words, no parables this time. This is going to happen just like I'm saying it's going to happen. 
And so Peter reacts and, and, he, and he rebukes Jesus. He pulls him aside. He goes, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're the Messiah. You're not going to get rejected. We've been waiting for you. You're not going to get beat down. If you're like David, you're going to do the beating. What are you talking about, Jesus? And what Jesus taught about his messianic mission was not compatible with Peter's hopes and dreams. What Jesus had just said, Peter, just, it just couldn't register. And I can imagine Peter thinking, like, Jesus, either you don't really know <laughs> our history very well. Like, the Messiah is not going to suffer and die. Or you're not the Messiah. Peter expected Jesus to do things his way. And in doing that, in his approach to Jesus, he was actually aligning himself with the adversary of Jesus, Satan himself. Jesus said this. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If any of you grew up in a, a Pentecostal church or charismatic church, maybe your mom told you, told, said this to you once. Get behind me, Satan, when you're disobeying her. <laughs> That's just my household, okay. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying is he's saying to He's saying to, to Peter, you're on the wrong side of this. And uh, similar, er, earlier on in chapter 1, we see how Jesus is about to start his public ministry, and, and he's in the desert, and Satan meets him there, and Satan goes, hey, I've got a better idea. How about I will give you the world? I'll give you the authority. You, you'll be under me, but don't worry about that. You'll get everything else. Just do this. So in many ways, what is happening through Peter now is exactly what Satan had been trying to do in Jesus' life from the beginning. So who is Jesus and will we follow him? Mark puts this question that Jesus asked Peter actually right smack in the middle of the gospel. Mark chapter 8, 16 chapters, right in the middle of the gospel in many ways, Peter, I think, represents us as disciples today. Peter gives the right answer about the identity of Jesus, but in his very next interaction, he then rejects Jesus because Jesus' idea of a Messiah doesn't fit with his own. Now, Jesus, let me tell you how you're supposed to do things. Let me tell you how this prayer is supposed to be answered. Let me tell you how my life is supposed to go. Peter reacts this way because he thinks Jesus' authority is going to be demonstrated like it had been in the past. But Jesus' mission is first and foremost not a tangible overthrow of a government, but a spiritual overthrow. Overthrow of the power of Satan, of the sin that grabs a hold of every human heart. The liberty that Jesus would bring is from, first of all, from sin. The oppression he'll overthrow is the power of death. Nothing more oppressing than that. And the kingship Jesus will establish will be one that lasts forever. Far better than what Peter could have imagined. 
And it's because of this work that Jesus did. It's why Peter couldn't understand it because it was spiritual and why Satan wanted to stop it. And we still have that challenge today. How many of us can relate to Peter? We know the identity of Jesus, but we don't often agree with the way of Jesus. We have to suffer? Wait a second. I thought I'm supposed to live my best life now. I thought what, what, you, what I'm supposed to get when I follow Jesus is a full bank account and a happy life. And you're saying that I'm going to go through tough times? I don't know, Jesus. I don't know if you're the Messiah that I need. Because we're so focused on the physical, the external, the temporary things. I'll tell you what, I would say that a majority of folks today have the same kind of relationship with Jesus that Peter did in this moment. Jesus is king, but he's not in charge of my life. Jesus is God, but I'm only going to worship him on, my, on his time, which is when? Right now, right? Sunday morning. You get that time. I'll get the rest. Jesus is Messiah, but I'm going to tell him how he needs to do it. In order to really follow Jesus, we have to see him for who he is, not who we want him to be. This is an age-old issue with us and God. We want to remake God in our image. Not who he is, but who we want him to be. Now, as a pastor, I get to do uh, a lot of marriage counseling. I actually call it marriage preparation for folks that are about to get married. And I love it. I get to hear their stories. I get to hear their, about their upbringing, about their hopes and dreams for the future as a married couple. And engaged couples, uh, most, of, most engaged couples are so enamored, so excited about the idea of marriage that they overlook the reality of marriage. Some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so when I sit down with couples, uh, we process who they are and what their image of marriage is. And I just blow it all up. <laughs> and one of the things that couples do is they often look at the person that they're about to get married and they overlook who they are right now because they think when we get married, they're going to be somebody much better. <laughs> And they've been lied to by the culture. They've been watching too many romantic comedies, whatever it would be. And so they go into marriage with this ideal person in mind that probably isn't the person that they're getting ready to get married to. And they think, I will change them or they will change. They'll, they'll rise up to what I think a spouse should be. And those of you that get married, you know who the person is is who the person is. If they were messy before, they're going to be messy afterwards, Right? If they can't cook before, they're probably not going to be able to cook afterwards. <laughs> now, you can grow. We all change, right? I, I, I mostly get my clothes in the laundry basket now. Like I've, I've, I've grown 19 minutes. So we do this in lots of areas in our lives. We have an ideal. That ideal is not met. And then we quickly bail. Job, family, marriage. And our culture feeds this. Our culture says, whatever makes you happy. You don't like that truth? Find your own truth. 
you do you. Like these are, honestly, these are the satanic statements of our culture that take us away from our Messiah. So Peter's idea of Jesus as the Messiah has been formed by, really by two things that we as followers of Jesus have to be aware of today as well. It's been formed by the culture and it's been formed by the adversary, Satan himself. Let's talk about cultural forces for a moment. Today is Palm Sunday. It represents the moment where Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a king. Palms are a symbol of kingship. Hosanna, save us now. Why were they saying that? Because Jesus is going to be the Messiah we think he's going to be. He's going to be like King David. Riding into Jerusalem, the, all the imagery was of the, their cultural expectations of a Messiah. One week later, you know what they were yelling? The same crowd that said Hosanna. They were saying, give us Barabbas. They would exchange Jesus' life for that of a criminal. Why? Because it looked like Jesus was losing. He was now arrested. He was now on trial. Oh, wait, we're going to disassociate ourselves from that Messiah. Give us a criminal instead. The whole culture was opposed to Jesus' idea of a Messiah. And this is true for us today. Our own cultural stories, traditions, hopes, and dreams, all of these play into our view of God and how we think God should work. And what's amazing is that God does work through culture. God does work through those things. He came to the world through the Jewish people in the form of a man to the Middle East. Like God entered into humanity and history and culture. So God does work through those things. But knowing about Jesus isn't the problem. Trusting him enough to follow him is the problem. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Hold on to that. <laughs> Hold on to that in your life. That the way that God might do things is different, that he might think differently than you. He might actually have a perspective that's better than you. This is true. So how has your culture affected your ability to trust and know God? We need to be evaluating this all the time. One of the things I love about our church is we are a multicultural church. East Africa, West Africa, South America, the Pacific Islands, East Asia. We have 12 nations represented. Europe. 12 nations represented in our church. One of the beautiful things about that is we can bring different perspectives on the gospel truth that allow us to understand it and see it better. When you enter into a different culture, you go, oh, I never saw things that way before. But there's the other side. It's equally, we have our own cultural influences that are not of God, allow us to miss things. So our culture affects the way that we see things. Let me just give you three quick examples. Our American culture is built on power over. Power over. Your strength, your finances, your knowledge will give you what you need. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. In a culture that's made up primarily 
a nation, I should say, made up primarily of immigrants, the folks that immigrate to a, a different country across the world, they are resilient people. They are doers. They, are, they will make it happen. And so this is a bedrock of our American culture. But God's kingdom is not built on power over. It's built on power under. Being a servant. Just after this passage, Jesus would say, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God must be a servant of all. Completely different than the way our culture operates. So our American culture is built on power over, but God's kingdom is built on being a servant. Our American culture says, you do whatever you feel like is truth. Whatever you need, whatever you do, it's all good. You do you. But Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to know God, you follow me. That's exclusive and deeply offensive in our culture. Deeply offensive. It was deeply offensive then in a polytheistic culture where there was hundreds of gods. You just picked the one best for you. We essentially are the same thing today. We're just as pagan as a culture as we were 2,000 years ago. Our gods just look a little different. Our sexual identity, our bank account, whatever it would be, that's what we say is ultimate truth. Our American culture avoids suffering at all costs. Oh, you're having a hard time? Take this pill. Stay glued to that screen. Anything you can do to avoid feeling uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable? I'm sure you can scroll for a minute and feel a little bit better about yourself. But Jesus calls us to live a life of compassion. What is compassion? You heard me say this in recent weeks. Compassion actually means to suffer with. To suffer with. It means being willing to enter into the suffering of other people. Just as Jesus did for us. So to truly be a disciple, Jesus' disciple, means that we will come into conflict with culture. When, not if that happens, there's a choice to be made. When following Jesus conflicts with your culture, some will just reject Jesus. Nah, he's just a man. No need to follow him. Some will try, maybe they won't reject Jesus outright. They'll still say, yeah, he's a good dude. But they'll try and remake Christianity or the ways and words of Jesus to better conform with the culture. Why? So we don't have to be uncomfortable, of course. <laughs> if I can remake Christianity to fit perfectly with the culture, oh, I'll rest easy because then I have God and my comfort. I won't stick out in the culture. Others, however, will choose Christ over culture. And this often leads to suffering. It leads to conflict. It leads to being uncomfortable. So this is one of the issues that Peter was wrestling with that we wrestle with today. Jesus is Messiah, but how is he Messiah? But let's not forget also the other influences that is actually working through the culture and in our lives today. Jesus didn't say to Peter, get behind me, Jewish culture. He said what? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. At the very beginning, I mentioned this earlier, of his ministry, Satan tried to directly get Jesus to change his mission. And now he's trying to use Peter here for the same purpose. We've talked about this before in our church, uh, but you can't be a Christian and not believe in a spiritual world. 
Jesus is God in the flesh, born of the holy what? Spirit. The kingship kingship of Jesus was first and foremost a spiritual kingship, taking authority over spiritual oppression. And Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, works inside out like this. Jesus doesn't come to somebody like Brandon Cameron and say, okay, first what I need you to do is dress a little bit differently. And I need you to to memorize some scripture, and then I need you to go to church uh, every week. Then we'll work work on your heart. We'll kind of, we'll figure out the things inside of you that need to be fixed, right? That's called pharisaicalism. That's called religiosity. Jesus doesn't work in that way. He goes, listen, I'm going to give you a new heart. And then out of that new heart, out of that forgiveness, that redemption that I give you, that spiritual transformation, out of that, things are going to happen in your life. New things will happen. You'll bear fruit that reflects the inward. So the ministry of Jesus is marked by spiritual, supernatural works. We've seen this, including dealing with demonic things, um, healings. And so as a Christian, you got to know Satan is real. He he tried to knock Jesus off course. He tried to, to do it again through Peter, and he is still at work Today, And I'm afraid that the American church is not as aware of this as it should be. Now, I have brothers and sisters from Africa and Asia, and they tend to be a lot more in tune with the reality of the spiritual world. And in many of those cultures, Satan tends to work more directly, more in their face, trying to get them to buy into the power of, of witchcraft and other religious beliefs. He'll put on a show if he needs to. This is what he did with Jesus in the desert places. But in the West, oh, in our rational, progressive culture, we minimize things that we don't understand, and we maximize science, the things that we do understand. And so Satan tends to work more behind the scenes, influencing like he did with people like Peter through the culture, through the media, through incessant messaging, trying to get you to consider other ways. And he is really good at playing the long game, both in our culture and in our lives. So our scripture passage this morning was a good reminder of this reality. Again, Jesus didn't say, get behind me, culture. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So this is a reminder to us as believers where our battle, where the origins of our battle are. If the transformation that happens is spiritual, then the battle, the primary battle is also spiritual. So before you let your your political anger ruin your relationships or you start boycotting Disney, remember the words to a church much like our church. Apostle Paul says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So these two influences, the the culture and what Satan was doing also through the culture, they weaved together and they made it really hard for Peter to accept Jesus' ways. And it's true for us today. The same battle, the same struggle is happening. So who is Jesus? This has been the question asked ever since 
He arrived. Every generation in history has asked it. Peter answered the question rightly. He's the Messiah. But he understood it wrongly. And so Jesus' rebuke back to Peter is one that challenges us today. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So I'll end with this. How about us? What about Christians today? Are we willing to trust the ways of Jesus? Many Christians today can rightly identify Jesus, but they aren't actually willing to follow him. Have we made Jesus in our own image? Isn't it understandable that we'd want to, to make him look like us, so that things would just be easier and more comfortable? To follow a suffering servant? To have to exercise compassion? To, to not just love our neighbors, but love our enemies? Oh my goodness. Isn't there a way around that? Out of our own comfort, we ask that question all the time. The problem is when we do that, we strip a key part of Jesus' identity away. When we make Jesus in our own image, he is no longer our Messiah. He's our homeboy. He's our friend. He's not our king or our Lord. But Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. But for him, there could be no kingly glory without the suffering of the cross. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there could be no payment for our sin. And so there could be no true salvation. So to oppose the true understanding of the Messiah is to oppose God himself. But to receive it, well, that changes everything. It means that your sins, my sins, they're forgiven. It means that death is not the final answer for us. And it means that Jesus, as he promised, will one day return. And then he will establish his throne forever. His kingdom will never fail. So this is the hope we hold on to in Good Friday, in Easter Sunday. And it's the challenge we face today. So I would ask if you haven't given your life to the true Jesus, do it. He wants to change you. He wants to free you. He wants to start something in you that will one day come to complete completion when he returns. And that's the good news we have, amen? We're going to close with one song, and I would just encourage you as we're closing with this song, if you'd like to come up to receive Christ as your Messiah, then myself and some of our leaders would love to pray with you. Right now, I'm going to go ahead and just pray for us as a church. So, Father, we just ask this morning, as we've seen this question that was asked 2,000 years ago, that we would find the answer, that we would know the answer, that we'd be able to confidently say, you are the Messiah, and I will follow you, I will trust you, even if it's uncomfortable. No matter what my culture says, no matter what the enemy may be whispering in my ear, you love me. You displayed ultimate compassion for me by coming into this space as a human, suffering and dying. But death didn't stop you. You made a way. So when you say you are the way, the truth, and the life, I can know, we can know, that that means there is something bigger, something better on the other side of this life. 
But we don't have to wait. We can experience that now because you made a way. Oh, Jesus, would you soften the hearts of the hard-hearted? Would you open the eyes of the blind, even in this space, even for us as Christians? Oh, God, that we might be like Peter, but even better. (laughs) That we might be able to say, you are the Messiah, and I know exactly what you did and why you did it, and I trust you. And I know exactly what you will do, and so I trust you today, even though times are tough. And if that's you this morning, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, then may today be that day we want to pray with you. And for all of us, oh, Jesus, Would you open our eyes? Christ over culture. Standing in your power against the enemy. May we be that kind of church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.